Good morning, church. I always thought you guys would be more energetic. You sleep in for an extra hour, right? For those of you who don't know me, I am Scott Dainville. Um, I'm an elder at this church. Once in a while, they let me preach. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, I'm not the normal pastor. We have a couple of them, and they seem to have got the holiday weekend off. I don't know how that worked. Um, I do enjoy preaching. It stretches me. It challenges me. Um, it pushes me. This one was the hardest one yet because, you know, I didn't follow a series. You know, it was easier when Ken was preaching through. I had just had my scripture that I needed to work on. I didn't need to develop a whole sermon on my own. Um, so I had this great idea. I said, wait, it's 4th of July. It's, and it is going to be an easy sermon today. I'm just going to go red, white, and blue, stars and stripes, America, all the way, right? Until uh, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and said, no. And I said, no, really, I want to do Independence Day. Holy Spirit said, no. So do you know who won? You know who won, right? Um, I want to thank everybody for their prayers that have raised me up um, in preparation for this. Thank you. I, I, I definitely felt your, your covering in the preparation of this. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in this. And it brings me back to another inexperienced pastor who has to do a service, a burial service, a service uh, in a pauper's type of cemetery for an indigent man who, you know, didn't have a lot of money. Um, but on the way there, gets lost. Google Maps stops. He has no idea. He drives around. He's an hour late. He gets to the service. Everybody's gone. The hearst is gone. There's a hole in the ground. There's a backhoe, and there's a couple of workers. And he felt bad, you know. Man. So he goes over, and he gives this man ascending like no other. Um, even though, you know, the, the, the vault cover is on, he prays, and he delivers a phenomenal service. And as he's walking away, he overhears one of the two workers by the tree saying, you know what, I've been installing septic tanks for 25 years, and I ain't never experienced that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are awesome. We do invite your Holy Spirit to come today, dwell amongst us, stir our hearts, draw us to you, reveal to us that just that good, good Father you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're finishing up a series on, on baggage, on family baggage, uh, breaking the chains. Um, and I wanted to just touch a little bit on this to let you know that, that God is working. This isn't just an idea that Ken had and share. God is active today. Because if we look at my family baggage, um, I already prepared mom for this, so um, my baggage don't look like that. Mine looks like at the airport, and they got the little toting things, and there's all the cars behind them, and they're like a train. That's my family baggage. But I have Jesus, which makes a big difference. Because what Jesus did was, part of my family baggage, I'll just share a couple of them. One of them, there was no godly male role models in my life. Not one. Um, I had a grandfather who went to the Catholic Church, but that was it. Um, because of Christ coming in my life, in my legacy, in my lineage, there is going to be a godly male role model. My son and I have conversations about spirituality, about God, about Jesus, what he's doing in my life, what he's doing in my son's life. This will continue on in my legacy. There were no good husbands. 
in my lineage at all. Uh, multiple divorces, no fault of anybody. Uh, we live in a fallen world. But I never had an example of what a father should look like, what a husband should look like. Thankfully, I celebrated 31 years of marriage last week. Um, there's a lineage in my family now. Some of those chains have been broken. There's other ones that I'm still dragging around, but that's for Jesus to work on in me. The Barna Group, they do research. The State of the Church, 2016. Those that call themselves born again, 35%. That means that they committed to Jesus Christ. Someday they believe they'll go to heaven because they believed in him. 23% are Bible-minded. That means that they've actually read their Bible in the last week. 7% call them are evangelical Christians. Now keep in mind that when they did this study, they asked the people not to describe themselves as evangelical. So to be evangelical, you needed to have given your life to Christ, um, read your Bible daily, weekly. Um, also, some other things about believing that Jesus was God and he walked a sinless life on this earth, that the Bible um, is accurate in all of its teaching, that it is through grace, not through works, that we are made righteous, that we are saved. 7%. So the burden that God has laid on that seven person, us, right, is to reach this world with the gospel, saving message of Jesus Christ. So my question for you today, are you born again? Are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Is he your Lord and Savior? See, Jesus told Nicodemus that, I tell you a solemn truth that unless a person, a man, a woman is born again, they shall not see the kingdom of God. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A.W. Tozer challenged me. This was what I wrestled with probably for the last month. Uh, if you don't know who Tozer is, um, preacher, a lot of writings, um, there's over 60 books written now. Um, most of these books were written after his death. Um, two of the most prominent ones would be The Pursuit of God and The Knowledge of the Holy. Um, these books press into the reader that, that necessity and possibility for a deeper relationship with God, relational with God. Uh, Lauren Barlow, the Barlow Girl, published a compilation of stories told by 59 different artists, writers, and leaders about how Tozer had inspired them. Um, Tozer inspired me. He challenged me. Let me just read from you a portion of what I read that helped me come up with this message today for all of us. The title was, We Are Saved To As Well As From. The evangelical church today is in an awkward position of being wrong while it's being right. A little preposition makes the difference. One place where we're going, where we're wrong while we're going right is the relative stress that we place upon the preposition to and from in front of the word saved. A long generation has been holding on to the letter of truth while at the same time we've been moving away from its spirit because 
preoccupied with what we have been saved from rather than what we have been saved to. The right relative importance in these two concepts is set forth by Paul in his first epistle to the Thessalonians. Ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven. The man who is constantly reciting the evils of his uncovered days is looking in the wrong direction. He's like a man trying to run a race while looking over his shoulder. What the Christian used to be is altogether the least important thing about him. What he is yet to be is all that should consume him. He may occasionally, as Paul sometimes did, remember his own shame in his life he once lived, but that should only be a quick glance. It should never be a fixed gaze. Our permanent look is to God and the glory that should be reve- that will be revealed. We are saved from, and what we are saved to bear the same relation to each other as a serious illness and recovery of health. But God has indeed pardoned and cleansed us, and we should count it done, waste no more time on sterile lamentations, and thank God for this sudden obliteration. Now this doesn't leave us with this vacuum, far from it. In this empty world created by our vacated sins and failures, rush a blessed spirit of God, bringing with him everything new. New life, new hope, new enjoyment, new interests, new purposeful toil, and best of all, a new and satisfying object toward which to direct our souls and raptured gaze. God now fills the recovered garden, and may we, we may be without fear and continue to walk with him in the cool of the day. Right here is where the weakness of much of current Christianity lies. We have not learned to lay our emphasis, particularly we have not understood what we are saved to know God, to enter his wonderful filled presence through a new and living way and remain in that presence forever. We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. The triune God and all of his mysteries, his majesties are ours and we are his and eternity will not be long enough to experience all that he is of goodness, holiness, and truth. In heaven, they rest not day or night in their ecstatic worship of the Godhead we profess to be headed for that place we should not should we not begin to worship on earth as we will in heaven today we're going to look at those two prepositions to and from a preposition is a word such as after in to on with prepositions are usually used in front of nouns and pronouns and they show the relationship between the noun and the pronoun in a sentence now if you guys know me you know I had to look that definition up. <laughs> that is not me, right? Grammar, English, no, no, no. In fact, in high school, they gave me an option. We could take sports literature where you went and looked at, at, at different athletes through history, or you could take English and grammar as it was. Well, I could tell you a lot about Jack Dempsey and Jake Lomato. I can't tell you about grammar. Why did God choose to save me? Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption of sons and daughters through Jesus Christ himself according to the kind intention of his will. Why did he save me? Have you ever asked yourself this question? 
I have. Usually when I'm feeling guilty or I get a nudge from the Holy Spirit when I've acted or spoken sinfully, or particularly if it's one of those nasty habitual sins which we all struggle with from time to time. Why did God save me? Of course, we can't really answer that question. Why did God save me and not that other person? I can't give any reason other than God's grace is why I am saved. See, this isn't the question we're going to really wrestle with. What have I been saved from and what have I been saved to? The simplest answer to the first question is I've been saved from hell. And this answer is correct. Um, But it doesn't affect much of a change in how we live. Too many people get saved to escape hell, but almost never live the way Jesus says born-again people are supposed to live. John 10.10 says, A thief comes in the night to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it to the full, or abundant, or overflowing. So escape from hell doesn't normally result in a long-lasting, lifelong commitment to Christ-likeness. A proper understanding of what we've been saved from not only involves our eventual salvation from hell, but also involves a present ongoing ongoing salvation from the power of sin. We were slaves to sin. We are all born into slavery to sin, and the powers which rule this earth, namely Satan and his demons, upon birth into this world, that moment that we were born into this world, we were slaves to sin. We were all about feeding the flesh. Example, look at a baby. It's all about the baby. I want attention. I want me. I want to eat. I want the diaper up. I, I, I. Exactly. <laughs> that's, our, that, 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 that's in us. But that moment that the Holy Spirit gave us a new birth, we were set free from that slavery because the Holy Spirit takes residence within us and gives us a power to say no to sin and ungodliness. Salvation begins at the cross, right there. What did Jesus do on that cross? He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it, he destroyed it, he nailed it to the cross. Jesus redeemed us at that cross. He, in him we have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. Jesus was a ransom on that cross. He paid the price. For you know that God paid the ransom to save you from an empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom was paid was not mere gold and silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus justified us on that cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we may become righteousness of God. Jesus was the reconciler on that cross. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Now we're friends. God cherishes an intimate relationship with you that needs to be your first priority. A relationship. A relationship is not one direction. A relationship moves both directions, right? Two ways. It can only, if I just continue call Larry and I call Larry and I call Larry and he never calls me back, we don't have a relationship. So if God has continued calling to you and calling to you and calling to you and you don't call back, 
You don't have a relationship. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice on that cross. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. The atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. If that doesn't make you jump for joy of what a wonderful Savior we have, I don't know how to get the message to you. The Apostle Paul got it. He says, how we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Jesus. We have spiritual gifts, not just spiritual gifts, spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Wow. Poured on us because of Jesus. This is excellent news. However, in my experience... I'm sure everybody else, we don't understand the far-reaching depth of our former slavery. After 12 years or so of being a believer, I'm only scratching the surface to understand the depth of that bondage because even though I'm set free, there's still, still areas in my life which I live as I was still enslaved. As I recognize these areas, I must allow... Jesus to redeem them. I must allow the Holy Spirit to begin the process of shedding light on them so I can confess and repent. Bring these areas in my life, your life, um, under the subjection of Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way that you'll experience the freedom that Jesus paid for me on that cross. So what have we been saved from? Hell? and the enslavement to sin for which I was born into. That's not it. If that's it, you're missing it. What have I been saved to? This is the question. Everything which God does, God does for a purpose and for a reason. This means that if you've been born again, God has a reason for saving you. He has a purpose in your life, and in the grand scheme of his ultimate plan, the bride of Christ and the church. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, work, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every person he redeems, he has prepared for them redeemed works for them to accomplish. There are particular things which God will accomplish through us once we've been born again. Unfortunately, armed with this knowledge, many people spend way too much time trying to figure out what is God's plan for my life. See, because we're people who like to know what's coming at us. We like to map out our course. We approach God as this puzzle that we're going to put together. We're going to figure it out. Okay, this must be this and this and this and this is how, this is what. Christian, I'm going to tell you that that is unbiblical. Jesus himself instructs us to cease worrying about tomorrow. It's not that we shouldn't plan to make provisions for the future, but we must understand that it's the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Ultimately, no matter what our plans are, if we delight in the Lord, he will direct our steps. It is in this directing that we accomplish each of those good works which he has prepared us to do. Delighting in the Lord will always lead you to accomplish his will for your life. So delight in the Lord. 
If we've been saved for good works, which he prepared for us, and delighting in the Lord will lead us to accomplish those good works, then the answer to the question, what is the plan from God's plan for my life? His plan is that you delight in him. You have a relationship with him. So the answer, what have I been saved to? To delight in him. And thereby accomplish the good work that he's prepared for me. So a natural side question to this, this would be, what are, good, what are those good works? Um, they're different for each one of us. Um, God's prepared you to do something. He's prepared you to do something. He's prepared you to do something. But there are some, some crossover ones. We're all called to evangelize. evangelize. Matthew 28. We're all called to love each other. We're all called to hospitality and to bear each other's burdens. It was that word burden. That one just came across my cell phone a couple weeks ago. My brother Bill says, I hate to burden you with this, but I have prostate cancer. It's not a burden. <laughs> I'll bear that, brother. I will pray. It's not. This is a privilege. Thank you for sharing with me. Um, these works and many more should never be excused or rationalized away in our own hearts. You know, well, that person really does. They don't deserve. They have. They've no. So back to the original question: Why did God save me? I'm not sure I can then sum it up in a sentence or a phrase. But He saved you and I so that we can be free from the power of sin. He saved you and I that's so that we can delight in Him, because there's nothing else in this universe in which we can delight, that satisfies us like he does. He saved us so that through the, that delight, we will do good things, which he prepared us to do. He saved you and I because he chose to love us before the world began. We don't deserve it. And it makes me all the more happy to know that even still, I don't deserve it. He still chose me. Remember, Jesus came to die to destroy the hostility between races. If you think between the Jews and the non-Jews in the Bible is any different than what's going on today between races, only Jesus can unite them. Jesus came to give marriages the deepest meaning. meaning. God's design was never for marriages to be so miserable, yet they are. That's what sin does. It makes us treat each other badly. Jesus died to change that. He knew that his suffering would make the deepest meaning of marriage plain. That's why the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up himself for her. God's design for marriage is for a husband to love his wife that way. Christ loved, loves his people. And for the wife to respond in the way Christ's people should. This kind of love is possible because Christ died for both the husband and the wife. Christ died on that, came to that cross to die to absorb the wrath of God, that wrath that we deserve. He died on that cross so we could escape the curse of the law. He died on that cross to reconcile us to God. He died on that cross to show God's love for sinners. And the measure of this love increases more when we consider the degree of our, our unworthiness. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Our debt is so great, only a divine sacrifice could pay for it. Jesus died on that cross to show us his love for us. It says in Galatians, he loved me and he gave himself for me. 
Christ died on that cross to take away condemnation. The Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's conviction. Condemnation, conviction. Two words. Profound difference. See, the Holy Spirit will come in and convict me. And it draws me to that cross. It draws me to God. It draws me closer. But Satan comes in and convicts me. Condemns me. And I walk away from God because I'm not good enough. Do you get the difference between condemnation and conviction? Two radically different words. One draws us to the cross. One makes us run away from it. Christ died on that cross to bring us to God. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God. Christ died on that cross to give us eternal life to all that believe in him. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared, prepared for him who love him. Think about that. The most beautiful thing you've heard or seen or tasted it, it pales in comparison to what God has prepared for us ahead. I can't think, is there anything more beautiful than that sunset on Lake Superior? That sunrise on Trout Lake, holding that infant. It pales in comparison to what is prepared and waiting for us who love him. For all these reasons and more, Christ suffered and died. Why would you not embrace him as your savior? No sin, no judgment, and you get to live with God eternally. Do you know Jesus? It was pretty awesome this morning, first service. Um, we got a whole bunch of kids. They love to sit up here. We are probably the only church in the county that fills the front row of, of their sanctuary, right? And there's kids up here. So as I proposed that question this morning, do you, do you know Jesus? I got a yes right from the front row. <laughs> yeah. But do you? There's a God in heaven who loves you right now, the way you are, not how you should be. It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and never perish. Romans 5.8 says that God so loved us that while we were in our sin, Christ died for us. 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The result of that sin is we are lost and we are separated. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.9 and 10 says, that If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart of a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This verse does not require you to know more, to do better, to clean up one's life, or in any way try to add to what Christ already done for us. Do you know Jesus? This morning we're going to 
I do something a little bit, just a little different. I'm going to ask in a second all of us to bow our head. We're going to pray a prayer together. And I invite you, if you do not know this Jesus, this Jesus that I talk about, that I'm passionate about, I want to introduce him to you. I want you to be able to know that you know that you will spend eternity with the Father. That you will know this Jesus that we talk about. I want you to know him. So with every head bowed, if you know Jesus, pray to him. He loves to hear you. <laughs> Continue to admit. But I want you to just say this prayer in your head with me, please. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. And I need a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. I believe by faith that Jesus, your son, died on a cross to be my Savior. I believe he rose from a grave to live as my Lord. I turn from my sin. I ask you, Lord Jesus, please forgive my sin and come into my heart. I trust you as my Savior, and I receive you as my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I want to get to know you. See, I want to connect you with somebody. I want you to be discipled. The challenge we have is we need to be discipling people. I'll just throw this out there right now. Jesus says, go to the world and make disciples. He didn't say go make converts. He said make disciples. Are you? Are you making a disciple? Is there somebody in your life that you can say, I am a follower of Jesus, and I am discipling that person intentionally, not accidentally. Somebody who you are speaking into their life, you are walking alongside them. Because if not, you need to be looking for somebody. And I don't care how old you are. If you got grandkids, you can be discipling them. you got great grandkids. You can be discipling somebody at your school, can't you? Yeah. See? doesn't matter the age, Right? Who in your life can you say, I'm discipling? I got in my life. I'm also being discipled. And the man that's discipling me, he pushes me and challenges me. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes when he's like, hey, did you finish that book? I'm like, I don't know if I should tell him the truth or not because he's got another one ready for me. <laughs> this is what we want. We want to be disciplers. I encountered this love of God, this love of Jesus in the back of a church on a Sunday similar to this. A preacher asked me one simple question. Where are you? I stood and wept uncontrollably. See, I had met Jesus at that moment. He felt love. I haven't been the same since. I have to tell the world about Jesus. I have to tell them what power he has to change lives. See, it takes you back to the book of Luke. The demon-possessed man, right? We all know the story. Jesus takes the demons out of the man, puts them in a bunch of pigs, has the pigs jump off a cliff. The story still perplexes me. Jesus could have just said, demons be gone, and they're gone. Instead, he writes, he put the demons out, put them in pigs, had them run off the side of a hill. <laughs> I know, it. God has humor. <laughs> um but this man was radically changed. Remember, this man was 
lived in tombs. He never was dressed. He was naked all the time. Uh, the demons had come and gone. Jesus comes in and does this miraculous work. And he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you are. I want to be your servant. I want to help you. I, I, please, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no. I want you to go back to your house and describe the great things that God has done for you. So the man went away, proclaiming to the whole city what these things that Jesus had done. My question for you, Christian, where are you at? Are you telling people what Jesus has done for you in the good times and the bad times? Man, we should be. This tormented man lived as an outcast for years, naked, alone. But when he saw Jesus, he fell to his knees and shouted at the top of his voice and begged for mercy from God. This man was healed physically, but more importantly, he was healed spiritually. He was so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus has done, he begged Jesus to travel. His life became living proof of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. This man's story became a testimony and his willingness to share it with others. I wonder how many people believe in Jesus because of that story that are now spending eternity in heaven simply because of this former demon-possessed man willing to share his terrible past to become a story of redemption and purpose. People can deny scriptures. They can deny Christ. They can dispute prophecy. They can ignore. But you know what they can't? They can't ignore a changed life. That's the power of Christ. Our stories of pain and adversity and overcoming in Christ are meant to serve as a testimony of God's faithfulness and his power and his love and evidence that God can really take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. I've since learned that it's always God's desire for us to go and share these stories, whether we want to or not. See, God will never waste that pain. We will. We'll take that pain and put it right here, and it's, it's done. It's over. God wants to use that for his glory. God has a plan, a great purpose, and a beautiful future for those who believe in him. Not despite our past, but because of it. Are you prepared right now to give an answer for that hope that lies within you? A 60-second testimony of from and to. See, I, I, I can do it. I, watch it. I did it this morning. Ready? Who's got the stopwatches out? From and to. I was walking down the street. A friend of mine says, you know what, Scott? Your marriage is beautiful. I wish I had your marriage. It is, you guys have so much love. You care for each other. You're always with it. And I say, you know what? It wasn't always like that. I was a bad man. I was selfish. I was evil. I treated her poorly. I was not a good husband at all. Just ask her. But Jesus came into my life. He showed me this love and this care, and I opened myself up, and I let him change me from the inside out. That's the marriage that you see now. That's the power of Christ from turning me from to 60 seconds. I don't know. Anybody time it? I could do the same one with, a fa with being a good father. I could do the same one with, with, with being an addict from and to 60 seconds. You never know how big of a window you're going to get in somebody's life.
Um, Steve Gould, the drummer for Sarah Bareilles, a wonderful man of God. He travels all over the United States. He's a professional drummer. Uh, he has a gentleman who takes care of his drum set, a roadie. I mean, full technician, probably. Roadies are probably gone. Um, this man is openly homosexual. And everybody's amazed how Steve treats this man. Steve, being a wonderful man of God, loves Jesus, just pours love onto this guy. And those non-believers say, how do, you, how do you treat him like that? He says, you know what? I may be the only Jesus he ever sees. I ask you, church, you may be the only Jesus somebody sees at work. You may be the only time they see Jesus at school. You may be the only Jesus in somebody's life ever. Are you prepared to tell them what he's done in your life? Saved from, saved to. We have been saved to fulfill the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend upon these two commandments. If you really want to go do and do a deep, deep study, go to that verse right there. All the law and the prophets depend upon these two commandments. All hang on that, it says. We have been saved to fill the great commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Go make disciples. Are you making disciples? That's my challenge to you. We are his work, his, his workship, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have been saved to delight in the Lord and thereby accomplish them good work. We've been created to delight with the Father, to commune with him, to have a relationship with him. So I'll leave you with this challenge. Are you living your life as proof of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Ponder that. Ponder that this next week. Am I living that way? Do people see Jesus in me? If not, I'll pray for you. i got to end. You bow your heads. Heavenly Father, this is, this is heavy, heavy stuff that you laid on us today. But we know that you did it because you want us to understand who you are as a good, good, loving Father. You want a relationship with us, and we want that too. So instill in each one of us our hearts just a desire to want to draw closer to you as a benevolent, giving Father. I would ask just a special prayer of protection over everybody on this long weekend as people travel. Just just safety, Lord. Watch over them. Um, Father, we do find it an honor that you chose to save us. And we know you, you saved us because your word tells us that. And it can never be taken away. We ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.